When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Gull, fueling your mission. Pop into your local for some good value fuel. Gull.nz, here to get you through your workday. This is Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Afternoon all, we've hit Friday the 16th of December, it's been a circle on my calendar for a little while, it's our last show of the year before we take a break for Christmas and New Year, and what a fun show it is going to be, oh boy, Uh, we've got one interview and the rest is fun times, and good times, and celebration times, Um, from 2 o'clock, working backwards, from 2 o'clock we're going to do a year in review, this is bloopers, mistakes, fun, good times, everything about this time of year two till four Sammy Hewitt has been working tirelessly on this and you know what he can produce he's the producer extraordinaire so from two to four boy oh boy that is going to be fun we're still going to play the vault that's at about 140 and we play it till it goes $200 TAB bonus bet about 140 stand by um, we'll have a quick update from Brendan Properwell, mainly just on the FIFA World Cup, I would imagine. We're going to have a best of what's making news, potentially, if we've got time. We'll try that out. And we've got our numbers two and number one in our biggest sporting moments of 2022. They'll come at you at about quarter to one and then just after one as well. So much to squeeze in today. And the first hour... Um, well, as, as I say, quarter to one, we will have uh, the biggest sporting moments of 2022, number two. Um, but we're unconventionally not going to do a midday madness today because we've got one interview. Now, it's the only time that this guy could join us. His name's David Conn. He's an investigative journalist and the author uh, for The Guardian. He's also the main voice of the FIFA Uncovered documentary on Netflix, assessing the 2022 FIFA World Cup, the backdrop of all the controversy, the um, the crimes, the corruption in the winning of the bids of Russia and of Qatar, which we are witnessing right now. I caught up with him earlier today because it's uh, very late in the UK now. He's a wonderful chat and it's a heck of an interview to finish off our year of interviews. So we will take a break now. Um, apologies for the early break, but it's a it's a long chat. It's an involved chat, and it's all about the corruption. It's about FIFA. It's about the World Cup, and he's a great get. Thank you, Sammy Hewitt, for getting Dave Con. He is the investigative sports journalist for the Guardian, the man behind FIFA Uncovered. So straight after this quick break, we'll go all the way to the bottom of the hour with David Con. 
Right, we are going up to the Northern Hemisphere. We are incredibly lucky. I'm so grateful that on our last show, we can get such an impactful guest for you to share some stories with. His name's David Conn. That may not ring a bell, but I'll tell you what will. FIFA Uncovered, the Netflix documentary, which just had me absolutely flummoxed, bamboozled, scratching my head. How does this happen? The man that knows way more about it than just a viewer because he put it together. He's an investigative journalist with The Guardian, David Conn. Welcome in and thanks so much for talking to New Zealand today. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for your interest. How many years was this project for you, David? Because it goes it goes back so far and your documentary goes all the way back. This is a labour of a lifetime almost, it seems. Well, um, for me personally, uh, I would say um, 10 years or so that I really was only seriously writing about FIFA um, and investigating FIFA for maybe a bit longer than that. Um, and then I wrote my book, The Fall of the House of FIFA in 2017 to try to explain to people about these absolutely unbelievable corruption scandals that happened at FIFA and then essentially um, with a friend of mine Dan Gordon who's the director um, of of the documentary uh, who I've worked with before on various things over the years um, he and his company got the documentary made um, by Netflix, the four part series. And I was just so, so pleased like to see your work just done so properly in a documentary. And also obviously when it works, this is a golden age of documentaries, isn't it? Because back in the day before Netflix, we would have been absolutely delighted if we'd have got an hour on BBC two in, in Britain, you know, and that's the sort of, commission that that Dan used to get sometimes with things that I worked on with him but not only was I delighted that they got a four-part series with Netflix and I knew that it would be proper and they took their time over it so I think they would have worked on it for three or four years and they had incredible researchers young women actually who just read everything and looked at everything and researched it it's the end of the earth and you know reached the point uh, there was a certain point after a few months where we had a meeting and I thought, right, you know more about it than me now. You know, they were absolutely brilliant. And, and to know that it was gonna be done properly, but that point that you've just made about the fact that to do the corruption, the modern corruption of FIFA, but do it in the context of the history. And that's what I did in my book because it's, it's so important, isn't it? And so valuable to have that proper historical context. Um, and again, just delighted that they really got that and they really understood it. And so to have the first part of you know, a modern, really, really dramatic documentary series on Netflix that was prepared to basically be historical and to set out the history and the narrative. You know, just so, so delighted about that and actually delighted that, you know, you're saying that that really made a difference because it doesn't just build the context for... The later corruption so, so I think it's always really important with these football documentaries and with all sport documentaries which I've always tried to do like one of my books my second book is called the beautiful game question mark searching for the soul of football 
And, and that idea of the soul of football, to try to say to people, you know, just, 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 just to set out, look, this isn't just corruption in the oil industry or the steel industry or just some industry that is basically an industry and is there. It is there to make money for companies, but obviously there shouldn't be corruption. It's really bad and illegal if there is. This, isn't, this is on a completely worse level than that because this is our game. This is our sport. This is something that people feel in their hearts and actually feel in their souls. And so to be able to establish that in the first episode, yeah, FIFA was formed in 1904 by seven European nations were basically all amateur because England wasn't involved at that stage. They were all amateur. There was no money in it. There was an idealism about it. So just set out that thing that we all know, all football fans know, yeah, you know, we just love this game and the money is just kind of like something that has to happen to sort of make it happen. Um, yeah, I was really delighted that, and I do think that it set a platform of understanding for what happened next, but also some of the characters involved, like Seth Blatter obviously being the central character in it all, just to understand that he arrived at FIFA in, I think it was 1975, and he was the general secretary and then the president right up until 2016, you know, longer than 40 year span. And it, I think it's, and, and we traced some of his relationships, didn't we? Like where they came from and where they ended up. Um, and, you know, like I myself as a journalist coming into, the, into this, like I say, really in the 2000s, when people told me about this history, you almost couldn't believe it at first. Like also about Adidas and like how Adidas were totally interwoven into the history of FIFA. And there's, uh, you know, well, there was a corrupt relationship with the person who was the boss of Adidas and then formed this company called ISL. Um, like when people first tell you that stuff, it seems so obscure. But then when you go and research it and realize that, wow, that is all true. And also it, it's actually really, really central to an understanding of what happened in later years. You're talking about Seth Blatter, my takeout, because, you know, no one watching this documentary um, will finish it with saying, oh, I knew all of that, because there's just no way. It's just such an explosive, honest, true account. The indignance and the Teflon nature that Seth, Seth Blatter has of himself is that a case of if you tell a lie often enough, it's, it becomes true in your mind? Because he was happy to be interviewed. He was happy to be accused of corruption. He just sat there saying, there, it, it's not happening. And I'm watching there as a viewer going, are you serious? Like you've got all of the stuff against you. It's all against you. And you just sit there and go, nope, he, he's a different human. It's incredible, isn't it? It's incredible. So... When I wrote my book, the thing is, he will front up. He will give interviews. Mm. He will put his case. He will say, I can't be held responsible. He will say, basically, his case is, his case in the modern, about the modern corruption and the people who got arrested and the people who, who were indicted, his case is, look, I'm FIFA, which is football's world governing body. The people on that what was called the executive committee, the ruling body of FIFA, the 24 men, they are elected by their confederation. So in your part of the world, by Oceania, 
in, in our part of the world by UEFA. So I can't be responsible if those people are corrupt. That, that's basically the case that he makes. And when I wrote my book, um, Blatter agreed to give me an interview and we, we ended up going for lunch in this restaurant. And um, it's the whole last chapter of my book because it was just incredible. And we were there for three hours and I just put everything to him. And, he, and again, he just answered everything in this way that, you know, um, he wasn't responsible essentially. And, and to be fair, I don't think anyone uh, believes or has found that Set Blatter himself took any, as he always says, he never took any money illicitly. It was, you know, beyond the salary, which is a very, very, very handsome salary, by the way, by the end. You know, I don't think anyone really accuses him of that. But the case really is that, and, and, and so I've spent far too long probably thinking about Set Blatter and thinking about this question about, if you like, his culpability. And for me, what it is, is that he was ambition in one human being. He was ambition personified. And it's actually really interesting that Switzerland became this country, um, partly because it was a neutral country in Europe, but partly, to be honest, just because of its tax breaks and its, um, its like, nice environment for sporting governing bodies. So it became the headquarters for the IOC, the Olympic Committee, for FIFA, for, for UEFA, also for um, the UCI, the cycling governing body. You know, there's about 60 sporting governing bodies in Switzerland, which is a very small country in Europe, really, a uh, very wealthy country per population. Um, and so I gradually realised as I got to know this whole world better that if you're like you and me and you love football and you're Swiss, it's actually a realistic ambition to think that you could become senior in a world sports governing body, which is an amazing job to kind of be accessible to. And as we know, Gianni Infantino, who we see in our screens in a kind of throne at the football in Qatar at the moment, is also Swiss, also from quite a small village in Switzerland, quite similar to Blatter. So Blatter had this just obsessive ambition to be the president of FIFA and therefore, in my opinion, was a master at orchestrating all the manoeuvres that he needed to get to that position and remain in that position and therefore to win the support of the people necessary to vote him in and keep him in that position. And is it really credible that he doesn't know a lot of the things that are going on amongst the people that are supporting him. Um, and so therefore, what I thought was incredibly effective about the documentary, and again, doing it in such a historical way, is that I think we're all familiar with his press conferences in recent years. I mean, I was there in the one in Zurich when it's like, crisis? He didn't say, crisis what is a crisis because that's a famous sort of mythical thing that a politician in Britain said in some terrible crisis we were in what did he I was actually there he said crisis what did he say? anyway he said I think he just said quite simply this is not a crisis like in the middle of this unbelievable 
corruption scandal. So we're all quite familiar with that. And also Simon Brodkin, the British comedian, uh, throwing the dollars all over him, uh, you know, which becomes like the signature, uh, emblematic, iconic image, meme forever, basically. Um, we're all quite familiar with that. But to see him making similar speeches all down the years, like back in 2002, there was actually a whistleblower, wasn't there, who, and there was a move against Blatter. And to see him making the speeches there then, uh, so basically, if you like, decades of denying that there was any corruption at FIFA. Uh, I thought that was an, uh, amazing how that built over the, over the decades in the documentary. We're talking to David Conn, investigative um, journalist with The Guardian and the, and the brains and the minds uh, behind the FIFA Uncovered uh, documentary. It's on Netflix. If you haven't watched it, boy, oh boy, watch, watch it this weekend before the final. <laughs> and talking of the final, like I know you're a football fan, David, with all that you know and all the talk about the World Cup bids, it was going to Qatar sections of the public refusing to engage with it, refusing to watch with it, either because of the corruption or the human rights atrocities or their views of the rainbow community over in Qatar. It's almost in the rear view mirror now, all of the controversy as we look forward to Argentina and France in the final. What have you made of this World Cup, knowing what you know? The World Cup in Qatar, it's just about finished. Your take on it. That, what you've just described, is what I said all along when people asked me before the tournament, what do you think it's going to be like? And I said, before almost every, not just World Cup, also Olympics, before every mega event, and I'm sure it's the same when whatever's hosted in New Zealand, I'm sure it's the same. There is always criticism, not criticism perhaps on the scale that there's been criticism of Qatar, and it's probably the most scrutinized and most criticized um, hosting of a tournament ever, right? Which the Qataris themselves cite to push back against some of the criticism and say, there was not, not a portion, a fraction of this criticism against Russia 2018, but Russia won the bid at, from the exact same corrupt FIFA executive committee as Qatar, because the vote was made on the same day in 2010 and we can absolutely see that Putin used it for uh, aggrandizing himself and boosting his own sense of self and sense uh, and sense of Russia's place in the world and just four years later is waging this horrendous war against his neighbor so we can see now that it was the absolute opposite of what a world cup is supposed to bring in terms of you know bringing people together and the you know FIFA's own manifesto and Blatter's own manifesto that it should be a vehicle for peace. So why are we getting dramatically more criticism and scrutiny than Russia, which which I do think is it's fair to say that they have had that. But my answer to, to all of this is that even like the London Olympics in 2012, it went three times over budget. It was supposed to cost three billion pounds. It cost nine billion pounds. It's incredible amount of money to be spending, extra money to be spending on something that lasts three weeks or four weeks. But my answer is that when the action starts, when the magic starts, that is why these countries are spending this amount of money, are 
are sustaining this amount of criticism. Bear in mind, Qatar's had 12 years of it. Why go through all that? Why build seven stadiums that you will have no use for afterwards? Why, why you know, go through the criticism that you're going through? Because when the whistle blows, that is the gold dust, that is the magic, that is the captivating event. That is the whole reason why you've bid for this thing. And now the world's attention is on Qatar. And now, and I knew, I went there in 2018 to do pieces for the Guardian four years to go. What does the, what does the World Cup look like? What are conditions like for migrant workers? I did a series of pieces. And some of those stadiums were built or just about built. And I went to the one, is it Albait, the one that looks like a tent, the one that looks like a Bedouin tent. And I was like, wow, this is just being built for television, for the television images. And in 2022, the lighting's going to be unbelievable. And these images, which some of it has got iconography of the Arab world, of the Middle East, of Qatar itself, and they're going to beam this around the world and they're going to say, we're here, we're Qatar, we've hosted this, we've hosted this successfully, we've built this stadium, you know who we are now, you know where we are now, no one's ever going to say again, where's Qatar, we're not in the shadow of our neighbours anymore, we're not in the shadow of Saudi Arabia anymore, the world's leaders have come to us, and very, very interesting to me, they very rarely get shown on the television, so normally in the coverage of all these tournaments, uh, uh, and of the Olympics, whatever, they'll always show the VIP box, and they'll show everyone, all the dignitaries that are there, all the rulers, prime ministers, presidents around the world, in the semi-final last night, they did show Macron there. And that is the first president or ruler of a country that I've actually seen. They show Infantino on his own, not sitting next to the Emir of Qatar, whoever he's sitting next to. So it's been very, very interesting to me that the political VIPs are not being shown. right? And whether that's because the optics in 2018 of Infantino sitting next to Putin, as we've shown in the documentary, you know, look terrible four years on. But basically what they're showing is a tremendously successful tournament with some incredible football, with some wonderful players happening in Qatar with the world glued to it. And the magic of the sports themselves is what these countries are buying. And that is what the magic of the sport themselves is what they want to reflect on their own countries and it works oh david you're giving me goosebumps all over again um i asked you for 10 minutes and i've taken 25 so and i know it's late over there for you it is an absolutely brilliantly told tale i reiterate watch fifa uncovered if you haven't it's on netflix go and do it in new zealand open your eyes, open your ears, open your mind and be astounded at the great work of David and, and the crew that put this together. David, I really, really do appreciate your time. I wish you and yours a wonderful Christmas and New Year. And once again, thank you so much for, for joining us here in New Zealand today. And the same to you and thanks very much. And once you get me started, you know it's not going to be 10 minutes. So thanks very much. <laughs>
Ken and Christ, she says, Hi, staff. I've watched three of the four episodes about FIFA. It's just so corrupt and it's a great doco. Another text from Brian saying, G'day, Stefanator. Thank you for the entertainment information and thought-provoking conversation. Sammy, Captain K and yourself have been great listening. Have a great break and New Year. Thanks, and thanks to you, Brian, and everybody else. We're getting a lot of text messages with Merry Christmases, etc., which is fantastic. We've got a fun, fun show for you today. Um, but very, very shortly, we're going to play you... Um, Number two, biggest sporting moment still to come. Um, that's going to be the majority of this half hour. We've got the number one sporting moment in the next hour. And from two, it's a part of radio you will not want to miss. It's our year in review. Lots of tongue in cheek. Sam assures me there's lots of humour. I have no idea. I'll be sitting here along with you listening to it all for the very first time. So let us get a breakaway because we have, it's a Monty. It's the biggest sporting moment of 2022. Number two on our countdown as we get heading towards number one. But number two, after the break. The biggest sporting moments of 2022. Number two. As 2022 rolled around, the excitement began to build for yet another all-black season. There are a lot of questions left from 2021, and indeed a lot of scepticism around head coach Ian Foster. So there was perhaps no truer barometer of where this team was at 18 months out from a Rugby World Cup than a number one team in the world touring our shores. And Andy Farrell coached Ireland team that was fresh off an impressive Six Nations campaign was out to try and gain their first ever win on New Zealand soil in their long 100 plus year history. Pundits in New Zealand were split. Some thought despite the All Blacks inconsistency, playing at home was just too tall a task for the Irish to overcome. Others were convinced this would be the tour that exposes the New Zealand national team for all its weaknesses. In any case, rugby fans were first. The first test at Eden Park would provide the ultimate challenge for the Irish. No one had beaten the All Blacks there in well over 30 years, and this time it would be no different. The All Blacks would run in six tries for an absolute routing. The final score, 42 points to 19. Ian Foster had spent six months planning for that test, figuring out the Irish, breaking them down, and ultimately delivering a killer blow. Confidence was high from the All Blacks fans, but do not understand the genius of Andy Farrell. If it took Ian Foster six months to work Ireland out, it took Andy Farrell just six days, as the Irish stormed back to take a resounding win in the second test. Ireland will get it and they'll boot it into the grandstand. Connor Murray gives it off to Carberry. And a famous Irish victory. Their first against the All Blacks in New Zealand. Their fourth overall and fully deserved. 
It was the first win for Ireland on New Zealand soil and the prospect of a rare, extremely rare, series win against New Zealand for the first time in history. As the third test approached, fans were once again split, but there was one thing for certain. Should the All Blacks lose this, Ian Foster would come under extreme pressure. July 16, rolled around. It was Wellington. Wayne Barnes blew his whistle and the match was underway. Ireland had done it. Beaten the All Blacks twice in New Zealand, won a series for the first time and cementing themselves as one of the best rugby teams on the planet. For the All Blacks and Ian Foster, the backlash was severe. So severe, All Blacks media made the decision not to front media after the game, prompting a public outcry from fans and media alike. Really disappointed. Um, you know, you can see that we have the talent and we have... Well, we have the X factor to be the best team in the world. We've shown that. And the game plan isn't there. And that comes down to coaching. I mean, you you had a game before the second test where we saw how Ireland reacted and we saw how they would play, how they were attacking our defensive structures, and still they played the same way. Mm. And, um, you know, full credit to Ireland. They put us under pressure. They, um, you know, they made our first five kick the ball a lot. And, yeah, full credit to them. But at the end of the day, it comes down to coaching, mate. And like you, you said in your first statement, the New Zealand Rugby Union need to be bold. I mean, this has started when South Africa left Super Rugby. They were pretty arrogant. And, you know, they probably had the, um, you know, the fodder behind them at the time. But now, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty embarrassing seeing New Zealand Rugby in fourth, maybe fifth this weekend. Yeah. So, yeah. There's no answers. Two months ago, you invited us to ring in about how many games was New Zealand going to lose this year. Mm. I said five, two against Ireland. And after that first game, I thought, oh, I'm wrong. This is great. I bet they're going to prove me wrong. And I was pleasantly surprised. After that second game where we didn't even know, I think the team forgot they had a back line. I thought, well, this third game's going to prove it to everybody about that the All Blacks used to be famous for learning from their losses and then coming back hard. And we did not see that, did we? It was, it was, uh, it's depressing. (laughs) So we we head off to South Africa. Oh my goodness me. I I thought we'd probably lose one game against South Africa. I'm thinking two now. It's looking grim. It's looking really grim. In some people's eyes, miraculously, Ian Foster escaped the Irish series unscathed and soon had to shift focus to the rugby championship. The job would not get any easier as they would fly to Mumbala in South Africa to take on the Springboks in Game 1. A cauldron greeted them as they ran out, with legendary Springbok Joel Stransky labelling it as one of the most amazing atmospheres he's ever been part of. It was amazing, you know, and the build-up to it was, was just as special. I mean, all, all our friends in, in Joburg said, let's make a weekend of it. So, so my wife was with me, we went along, we had, you know, we had, dinner on Friday night and we, you know, lunch on Saturday before the game and just the whole atmosphere, the whole e- event, you know, the whole occasion was just spectacular. And the one thing, as, as great as the atmosphere was in the stadium, and we'll, we'll remember that, the thing that stood out for me the most was the anthems. And and, and obviously, I mean, I love the All Black, uh, the New Zealand anthem, but the uh, the way the crowd sung in Kozi Sikileli and then, 
the you know the Afrikaans and English versions of this damn. It was just sensational. It, it's the best anthems I've ever heard. It's the first time I think um, ever I, in my in my being you know, being at a test match that uh, Nkosi Sikileli has, has been sung by a rugby crowd in South Africa as loudly as they sang. It was it was just sensational. The All Blacks were put under immense pressure early and looked like deer in the headlights as South Africa scored in just the ninth minute. From there, it was all Springboks, with the All Blacks failing to score a try until the 79th minute, eventually going down 26-10. Springboks too good on the day. And they get the victory and the first win in the Rugby Championship by 26 points to 10. It was panic stations for New Zealand. Foster and his men had now lost three tests in a row for the first time since 1998. Worse still, going back to the end of 2021, they had lost five of their last six test matches. Mark Robinson from New Zealand Rugby immediately flew to South Africa and speculation began to stir. Reports of Scott Robertson being offered the coaching job were circulating. Foster was under pressure again and it showed. Foster was on life support. He had one match to try and turn around his seemingly impending doom. A return fixture against South Africa at Alice Park in Johannesburg, one of the toughest places on the planet to play. But Foster's men rallied and got behind their coach. Even though South Africa made a host of changes from their win just seven days prior, the All Blacks were ruthless. It was arguably the best display of All Black rugby since Foster took over as coach at the end of 2019. Over it goes, there goes the siren. And the All Blacks have silenced the critics. And they've won at Ellis Park by 35 points to 23. Senior players went public with their support of Foster and a man who was all but given the sack a week earlier was saved. New Zealand Rugby called a press conference to announce the news. But I want to absolutely emphasise going forward that both Ian as head coach and Mark as his own rugby chief executive have the board's absolute backing and support. What followed, however, was another history-making moment that left New Zealand rugby and Foster with egg well and truly all over their face. Two weeks after being re-endorsed as the coach of the All Blacks, Foster faced an Argentinian side that had also never won on New Zealand soil, coached by a man who had a long history with the All Blacks, Michael Checker. With a sense of irony, the two sides met in Christchurch, as the man who was believed to be offered the All Blacks job just two weeks prior was sitting in the stands watching on, maybe not physically, but certainly figuratively. And it was a disaster for the All Blacks again. Time is up on the clock. There goes the siren, and Kibbele kicks it out. Argentina win for the first time in New Zealand. The first win for Argentina on New Zealand soil in their long history. Not forgetting it was under Foster where Argentina got their first win over New Zealand ever just two years prior. So now here was Foster and the All Blacks with just two wins in their last eight matches. Understandably, the rugby public were at fever pitch and it nearly became so much worse when Australia were just inches away from beating the All Blacks in Melbourne four weeks later. Taken down by Barrett. Ball on the ground. And a penalty, Australia. The Australians given a bit of a hurry up here. But this will go out. And all they'll have to do is win the line out and hang on to it for a minute, even less. Oh, 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 oh,
He's taken too long. That is massive. Akira Ioane. Jordan goes on his own, gets the ball away, and Jordi Bellic wins it for New Zealand. Has there ever been a finish to a test match quite like this? The All Blacks held on to win the Rugby Championship and the Bledisloe Cup, papering over the cracks of what was a very disappointing start to the 2022 year. It would culminate in a scratchy Northern Tour that saw the All Blacks get out of jail by seven points against Japan. Escape a last quarter onslaught from Scotland at Murrayfield to win by eight. And of course, a complete boil over with 20 minutes to play against England, finishing in a draw at Twickenham. It was perhaps the most turbulent year in All Blacks rugby for the fans, for the players, and of course, for Ian Foster. Eight wins from 13 matches, with history-making results for all the wrong reasons. All Black fans were left asking themselves at the end of 2022, can we genuinely win a World Cup in 12 months' time? At one point in 2022, the All Blacks slumped to fifth on the world rankings, the lowest they had ever been since the rankings began. The New Zealand public have been so used to using the words domination and All Blacks in the same sentence for years, but 2022 threw up more curveballs than anyone could have predicted. For all the wrong reasons, the 2022 All Black season is number two on our biggest sporting moments of 2022. Yep, tumultuous, I guess, is the word that we can describe uh, the All Blacks season. And uh, I, for one, am pleased it's over. And I guess we can park our our negativity or our questioning and just hope for a brighter, better All Black future come 2023. It's a big, big year for rugby. And... um, not the great, not the great season we were hoping for, and I guess the great season that we're used to with our men in black. But we will rally, we will get behind them, and we'll cheer them hopefully to another rugby World Cup victory next year. Not in good shape, but let's hope things will get better. That is our number two of our biggest sporting moments of the year. We will have number one after the one o'clock news. Uh, we'll take a quick break, uh, but before I do that. I want to thank Gull very, very much for their sponsorship of the show. They have economical fuel all over the country. They fuel your mission all year round, and particularly this time of year. Probably most people's petrol consumption goes up with uh, travel to friends and family and beaches and fishing spots and the whole drama. So um, thank you very much, Gull. You're a big part of this show. Gull.nz is where you find out where your little locations are. We'll be back in a moment. And while we'll be taking a break uh, for a little while, uh, Greyhound's dog speed will not be. It's 12 to 1 every Sunday. Uh, Rosso and Dan Roberts will keep you up to date with everything Greyhound racing. That's dog speed 12 to 1 on Sundays. And don't forget, it's a perfect time, especially if you've got some leave up your sleeves to take part in the Cancer Society Longest Day Golf Challenger Challenge. Just register at longestday.org.nz. And while I'm talking about that... One of the best promos we've had is you can go to the ASB Classic in a corporate box. You just text TENNIS into the Tampa Bay Post text machine, double eight, double three. You'll be hosted by Izzy Dagg and his lovely wife Daisy or Tony Kemp. Either would be absolutely magnificent. The ASB Classic is absolutely 
a brilliant, brilliant day out. Before we go to the news, I just wanted to um, pay respects to Megan Taylor's friends, <clears throat> friends and family who was tragically um, taken far too young uh, at the races at Ashburton yesterday. They cancelled the races um, and tragically taken very young. It's always hard to, to lose someone so young, and I know the racing community will be hurting and particularly this time of year because you know there's always the annual reminders so to all of those affected by the horrific loss of Megan Taylor our hearts go out to you and I'm sure on Sunday at Wingatui there will be um, an acknowledgement of this very very sad passing so thoughts and prayers to all of you that have been affected by this tragic tragic loss we'll return after one o'clock It's not Caramel. bring Barry White back. Okay. No, Barry not. Oh, is that in there? <laughs> we have got... Now, that was last year when you okay. named the All Blacks in that voice. That was the old TV studios. It was The too. mics uh, sort of enunciated the timbre of the low tone quite uh, drastically, Steph. Yes, indeed. Um, I'm just going to rip through a couple of um, text messages. Uh, Steph, Sam and Captain K was going to call today, but... Uh, to wish you all the best for the holiday season but the show sounds busy it is it's been a great year I enjoyed all the shows on SENZ and loved the afternoon show I particularly enjoyed Mastermind it's a shame other listeners didn't participate as much as you would have liked I'm looking forward to what you have planned for next year Merry Christmas to you all and thanks again for your hard work thank you Craig for being a listener and a contributor as well uh, staff wishing you and everyone at ECNZ a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year if enjoyed the show over the past year I tune in all the time great stuff thank you and Richard just yes letting us know that unfortunately Ben Robb lost in the first round of the World Darts Championships today so his tournament is done uh, which is a real shame because he's such a wonderful bloke and he co-hosts quite often with Ben Robb on our At The Oki uh, show which is brilliant I love it I absolutely love it alright we've been counting down the top 10 biggest sporting moments of the calendar year this year um, I'm just hurriedly trying to find the list I'm hurried so I can bring you up to speed here we go number 10 was the Black Caps beating Aussie in the first game of the T20 World Cup number 9 Liam Lawson gets Formula 1 drive number 8 the passing of Shane Warne number 7 Paul Cole becoming squash number 1 Wellington's Ramfurly Shield and NPC double this season Aaron Gates 4 Commonwealth Games gold medals number 4 was Lydia Ko making it back to number 1 number 3 was the Warriors homecoming match this year number 2 which we just heard was the All Blacks downfall uh, this season, particularly Ireland and South Africa. Here's number one. The biggest sporting moments of 2022. Number one. 
The Black Ferns in New Zealand had been looking forward to hosting the Women's World Cup for years. But first they and the world had to navigate the COVID pandemic and no rugby for two years. At the end of 2021, the Black Ferns headed north with four big test matches against France and England that were being used to gauge where they were at with just 12 short months until the World Cup started. It couldn't have gone any worse. And the Black Ferns in their first match for two years, their historic 100th not to be today, outplayed. So New Zealand get the final say in the test match, but it has been utter domination from England once again. It's England 56, New Zealand 15 at Franklin Gardens. And it is a comprehensive win for France. France 38, New Zealand 13. France 29, New Zealand 7 and cast. On their return, there was the inevitable review. That resulted in a change of captain and a shoulder tap on one of the greatest rugby coaches of all time, the professor, Wayne Smith. He added lab assistants from successful projects of yesteryear. Henry, Cron, Bunting, and even cameos from the goats, McCaw and Carter. And so to the 8th of October, round one of the 2022 Women's Rugby World Cup. And it begins with a triple header at Eden Park. France put 40 on South Africa. England put 84 on Fiji. New Zealand opened with a match against Australia. Manuel has Woodman. Woodman taking it upon herself. Woodman goes over the line. Demand, or oh, nicely done. Under pressure as Tui goes through the Australian defence. Takes on the line. And Ruby Tui's solo effort is pumped. Black Ferns 41, Australia 17. And then our Black Ferns disposed of Wales by 40 and Scotland by 57 to finish the round robin top of their group. Disposing of Wales again in the quarterfinal set them up for a semi-final against France. A team that had buried them, buried them 12 months earlier. In a seesaw match that had the world on seat edges, the clock showed 79 minutes and France received a kickable penalty. 30 metres in front, we watch through clasped fingers and... Ponsonby in the back, clinging on. 
Zealand regroup. It's funneled back to Bremner, Chelsea. Amy Rule has got it there, and Amy Rule goes over for New Zealand. Demand. Nice hands from Ponsonby. And some space for New Zealand wide here. Flula, oh, what a show. And the go from Flula. Holmes in the middle. Holmes looking for support. Taking on Kilton. Back to Flula. New Zealand straight from the end of the world. What a try to start the second half. Fitzpatrick. Flula made the run, but Fitzpatrick with a little bit of footwork for McMenamin. Charges up six metres short. New Zealand working the short side. Numbers for Murray in the corner. Crystal Murray impact off the bench. The detonators go boom. Dement. Fitzpatrick again stands the kick. This one might sit up for Stacey Flula. Just short. Lindsay Egan crashes over. And New Zealand go back in front with nine minutes to play. has seen some storied occasions, not least in Rugby World Cup finals. This may be the most extraordinary of the lot. It's on New Zealand's side. England couldn't control it. All of those that were watching the final around the world will never forget. And it was so much more than a game, as Sarah Hidney told us the day after the final. So by the time we got to the final, it was actually, it was probably the least nervous I'd been in the whole World Cup because I didn't have to worry about doing the haka in front of everyone. Um, I knew, knew my game plan and we'd, I knew we'd already won. We'd, I knew we'd changed changed Aotearoa for the better and so like I, I actually got to really enjoy the experience and um, yeah and just be able to I suppose be free which was a bloody nice feeling. So to Wayne Smith thank you. To Ruhe Damont, thank you. To the whole Black Ferns movement thank you. You redefined family. You opened yourselves up and you let us in. You let us embrace you share you and celebrate you but most importantly you embraced us back, the Kiwi battler, the kids, the farmers, the rest home residents. Every single one of us was invited onto the field with you. And we passed, we kicked, scored tries, we huckered, pukanered alongside our Kiwi sisters. We love you and you love us back. That is sport and that is New Zealand. This is why it is our number one biggest sporting moment of 2022. What a moment that was for all of us and for rugby around the world. It just redefined what sport can be and what it can mean to people. 
And when we have representatives of the ilk of that Black Fern sisterhood representing us, I have never felt so proud during a sporting moment, a sporting occasion that transcended sport. It was about personality, it was about celebration and representation of this little country that says it can, and it did, and we loved it. We loved it. I do want to give a big thanks. That is our number one moment. All these ten, a huge thanks to Captain K and for Sammy Hewitt, the tireless express pace workers that have done such a wonderful job. I'm sure you can appreciate how much work goes into preparing those um, and then just sitting back here. We listen to it for the first time with all of you when all of our three components all marry together and we sit here and enjoy it with all of you. Uh, it, it means uh, it means a lot to me to have those two boys on my side and uh, bringing those things. And a big, big acknowledgement for Ricky Swinnell who called the Rugby World Cup with such aplomb and such passion and as Sammy said, she absolutely nailed that final moment. Um, I couldn't think of a better person to call that World Cup final on behalf of the rugby community. Ricky Swinell, we tip our hats. You're remarkable. You're talented. And for a lot of the time, you're ours here at SEZ. You're part of our stable, and we're so, so proud of what you did because that will go down in history as one of the greatest sporting moments in New Zealand history, and I don't say that lightly. So I hope you enjoyed that. We're going to have a quick break. On the other side of that, Sammy brings you every day what's making news, the irreverent stories from around the world. So strap yourself in. We're going to have the best of what's making news after the break. Ladies and gentlemen, I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. What's making news around the world? Oh, for the final time, Steph, in 2022. I know. And uh, and big shout out to yourself as well. Uh, give yourself a pat on the back for uh, obviously voicing all of these uh, top moments and you helped with the scripts as well and you told us what audio to get. So, uh, yeah, you deserve a bit of praise there oh, as well. It was awesome. It was so much fun. And as I say, like... Five hours flat out. We finished at two minutes to 12 today. Yeah, that's just the way it goes. So uh, what I thought I'd do is take a look back on uh, some of the stories that really stuck out to us and what's making news. Let's be honest, they're all ridiculous, but uh, these are a couple that have picked out. I've only sort of gone back about four or five months. I thought uh, you wouldn't remember the stuff from the start of the year. So I've gone back a couple of months, months, and uh, a lot of these are going to start with, do you remember? Okay. Um, so the first one uh, we came across was in August. Actually, just a nice... Um, story that came across the de- desk, which was uh, Scotland's uh, Eilish McColgan, who claimed gold in the women's 10,000 metres at the athletic at the Commonwealth Games, uh, 36 years after her mother won the exact same medal, and that was just that blew my mind. Yeah, it was just the, what uh, are in the, the odds? same event. You know, you hear of kids following their parents' footsteps, maybe a different event, but uh, both in the 10,000 metres, um, which I thought was fantastic, and. Um, her mum, who won, actually missed the rest of the 1990 season after the Com Games because she was pregnant with the uh, with the daughter. So uh, there you go. Amazing. That's eh? fantastic, isn't it? Uh, sticking in August, and you might remember um, an Indian man by the name of Shat, uh, Shatur... <laughs> by the name of what? Shaturvadi. Shaturvadi. <laughs> yeah. Um, who took the Northeastern Railway Company to court back in 1999. He was charged... 
overcharged 25 cents after he bought a train ticket. Mm. And they really shouldn't have taken on this young man because he was, at the time, uh, a lawyer. Um, at, the, at the time of this story, 66 years old, but I can't remember what he was back then, what, 40, 41, 42? Yeah. Um, so this battle went on for over 20 years um, in order for him to get his 25 cents back, which he finally did in 2022. They ruled that he was overcharged at 25 cents, and Steph, they even uh, adjusted it for inflation and awarded him interest. Oh, $3.50. Oh, I was going to say, is this thousands? <laughs> he did it on principle. He did it on principle. He didn't do it for the money. Um, a man by the name of Antoine Sims, 24, um, called the police in August. You'll remember this one. Um, because his fries were cold. He was calling because McDonald's had given him cold fries, um, which was unacceptable. The only problem for Antoine was that he was actually wanted for murder. Uh, so you call the police to complain about your cold fries. Unfortunately, Antoine, you give yourself your position away. Uh, he was promptly arrested. Um, don't think you got any hot fries in the end either, Steph. <laughs> I don't know if they offer that in the cells. Um, to September, and being an artist, as I always say about you, Steph, uh, you resonated with this one because a man uh, was, was being sued after taping a banana to a wall as part of an art installation. Um, and we thought it was ridiculous in itself to have a banana taped to a wall and be called art. What was more ridiculous was that he was being sued because he copied someone doing that. <laughs> Joe Morford in 2000 apparently uh, did the same thing. The creation itself, the original creation, was over was worth over $100,000. So it was valuable in someone's eyes, but uh, not worth replicating. I, for, think it, uh, I think when you told me that story, do you know what an ampersand is? Yes. When the news uh, was either the Auckland or the New Zealand emerging artist competition that wins twenty thousand dollars, yeah, was an A4 paper full of computer laser printer ampersands. Nah, and can't that, get behind it. And that one. Well, there was another one. Remember at the Auckland Art Gallery with the pickle on the roof. Yes, they just threw a pickle on a roof, and that was the art, and it was worth fifteen grand. I mean, anyone can do that. <laughs> anyone can do that at home. Um, to October and a story that gripped the the world, sporting and otherwise was the fishing controversy out of Pennsylvania where it was discovered that two gentlemen had cheated in a fishing competition by stuffing the fish with weights, with lead weights. Um, and man, did that blow up. It went all over the place. And there were videos of them getting confronted and the weighing competition. And they even found fish and they had shoved other fish into the fish to make it way more, to try and win the prize. It was out of this world, as they say, and one of my favourite stories of the year, and also in October, um, Texas Pete Hot Sauce was sued because it was found out uh, that it wasn't made in Texas at all. It was made in North Carolina, and that was false advertising. And only in America can you sue for that sort of thing. Uh, but the man said that it was uh, it was misleading because it wasn't distinctly Texan. It was distinctly, uh, distinctly North Carolinian. So he got sued over, sued over that. There's another suing story coming up as well, which I know you'll love. Um, and the last one I had from October was the... Uh, the man tasked with preserving Japan's heritage, he was literally the head of um, conservation for Japan's cultural heritage, accidentally reversed his car into the country's oldest toilet, <laughs> which was over 700 years old at a Buddhist temple. And it was the, this is the most ironic thing I've ever heard in my life. The man who's in charge of looking after it ends up backing his car into it. He was in a lot of trouble. Might have lost his job. Uh, in November... A story that rocked the SEN stable staff. And I would argue we've not recovered since this um, because there's been moments in the last few weeks where we haven't heard from Jimmy Smith. 
It was, of course, oh, yes. the $1 billion worth of methamphetamine found inside a shipment of coconut water. Jimmy Smith has a coconut water company. We even traced where they found the meth came from, and it all added up to a shipment that was supposed to arrive on Jimmy Smith's door in Australia. Mm. Um, we confronted him about it. He denied it. Of course he did. He but said the, jury, the jury is still out. Uh, here's my other suing story from November when a woman sued microwave mac and cheese makers over deceptive labelling once again uh, because the labelling said that it was ready in three and a half minutes. But the instructions on the mac and cheese stated you've got to remove the lid, you've got to add the water, you've got to stir, you've got to microwave, you've got to cool. And she, once she did all of that, she realised that it's impossible to cook this in three and a half minutes. That's misleading. I would like $5 million, please. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what she sued them for. We'll keep an eye on that one, actually, and see uh, how it ends up in the future. But look, just add it to the list of ridiculous things that Americans sue people over. I'm sure there'll be more in 2023, Steph. Oh, there will be an abundance, particularly out of Florida. I found this part challenging uh, to pick out the best fact oh, from the year. had some unbelievable facts this year. I'm going to give you two, okay? okay? And often it was the stories, not the facts, that I found the most interesting. So I've picked out two stories that I thought were particularly entertaining. The first one was from 2016, uh, when a man tried to rob a bank after paying $500 to a wizard to make him invisible. <laughs> so uh, he, was from, he was from Iran, and he um, found a fake sorcerer who convinced him that he was invisible and he could rob a bank safely. Um, so when he was in front of the court, he explained that he had paid five million, uh, million royales, which is $500, to a wizard imposter who in return gave him a set of spells to tie to his arm. The fake sorcerer explained to him that the spells would make him invisible and that he could, do, he could then rob all the banks he wanted. Um, his ill-fated attempt to rob the bank started to go wrong after he entered the bank and started randomly snatching money from the hands of customers before they decided to act quickly and overpower the thief. He told the court, I made a mistake. I understand now what a big trick it was that was played on me. And I find it interesting that that's when he realised he made the mistake. <laughs> <laughs> and the other one that I, that I did enjoy came uh, in the form of Jessica Simpson, who in 2010 developed a, an addiction to nicotine. Mm. Do you remember this one? No. Uh, in 2010, Jessica Simpson developed an addiction, uh, an addiction to nicotine because she thought nicorette gum was regular gum. Oh, no. She, she liked thought, the flavour. She thought Nicorette was regular gum, so she was just chowing that down and just became addicted to nicotine. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine what she could sue for. True, actually. Yeah, maybe she'll... But I think it's pretty clearly labelled. I think that's on Jessica, mm. to be fair. But it's anyway, on you, Jessica. So there's a little compilation, staff of some of the best stories over the last few months and a few of the best facts. It'll all be back in 2023. I tell you what, there is never a day where I don't look at my usual websites and not find a plethora of stories Weirdness. for what's making news. Mm. So it'll be back in 2023. And so it should. It's one of my favourite ones because I have absolutely nothing to do with it. It's 10 minutes of the show I have no responsibility for. Thank you, Sam. I do enjoy those on the daily. Righto, we're going to have uh, new sport and weather now. On the other side, our last catch-up with Poppy Dogs, Pops, BP, whatever you want to call them, from the TAB, and we'll farewell our chats with him. So Pops after the new sport and weather. Yes, on the daily we talk to someone from the TAB each and every day at about this time. And today, Poppy Dogs, um, it's going to be a big Merry Christmas to you, buddy. I really appreciate all you boys coming on with us. And occasionally Pip as well. It's a good part of our show. You give us the inside oil 
I guess today, FIFA World Cup final. <laughs> That's the one, Staffanator. Uh, a very good afternoon to you. And um, yeah, look, there's a lot of interest in this match. As you'd imagine, we've seen a heck of a lot of money throughout the World Cup. But what I will say is that all three options in terms of the head-to-head market are taking interest. The 275 on both teams to win and the draw at $2.88 uh, is also taking some money uh, around the final. And, and what I will say to just extend that a little bit further is method of victory. Either team to win penalties at $4.50 was one of the one of the better played options away from that head-to-head market as soon as this was uh, the, the final. Uh, so there, that's a couple of early bets anyway that, that's been played as we get closer to, to Monday morning. Yeah, look, I don't recall a World Cup final in anything that's Flip the coin, each of two, 275, 275. Um, it, that's, it's fantastic. It is, it is. And that money certainly has been strong for Argentina over the last sort of 24 hours or so to see them both at that 275 zone. We are taking some interesting bets around Argentina. They're one of the sides that uh, when they were second, sorry, when they lost their first game, they blew out to 950. We were still taking money on them to win the World Cup at that stage. So, they were the, the second worst result in the book behind Brazil, who was clearly the worst, and France was that other team too. So they both made their way to the final. Uh, we've taken four and a half thousand on Argentina to lift the cup. Now that's at a dollar ninety-five, and of course that means uh, basically win the match at any time through extra time or through the penalties. Uh, so that's our biggest bet we've taken uh, through there. We, we've taken an interesting bet on the football World Cup, which is a multi. Messi to score first, Argentina to lead at half-time and win the match to nil. On to Manus Lubbershane to score 100 runs in the first innings to return $25,000. There's a bit to unfold in that particular multi for $500, but um, yeah, there's a bit to watch as well at the same time. Talking watching, I want to talk darts because when it's Christmas time, um, the Ali Pally just oozes into my eyeballs and my eardrums. It is such a fantastic sporting event, and it is as important as mistletoe to me is the World Darts Championships. <laughs> the overall winner market, please. Where's the traffic? That is as good as pavlova, isn't it, or <laughs> trifle, or any of those other trimmings as well that you can have with Christmas. Yeah, it wouldn't be the same. It just Christmas is not the same without the World Championship of Darts on. And we got that this morning. Unfortunately, the big rig couldn't win first up. But mm. um, he put up a good fight, didn't he? Van Gerwen, MVG. He's $3.50. Now, what I will say, it's a very loose favourite, though. Like, we haven't taken any outrageous, you know, big bets on Michael Van Gerwen. Punters are very keen to look elsewhere. Um, Gerwen Price, seven fifty, former winner. Michael Smith, there is a lot believing that maybe this is his time. Of course, he got so close to winning it last year. He was the runner-up behind Peter Wright. We've taken good money for Bully Boy at seven fifty, and Peter Wright at eleven dollars, who we saw this morning uh, getting the job done as the Grinch. Uh, he's eleven dollars, and then you start working down to, to guys that you probably think shouldn't be at these prices. Former winner Rob Cross thirty-four dollars. Nathan Aspinall's taking some a little bit of support at thirty-four dollars. Even Chizzy. I mean, you can find your favourite darts player here and find them at ridiculous odds. Uh, but we're taking a lot of different money in different places, but I'd say Gerwin Price and Michael Smith at this stage 
are very well backed. Brilliant, Pops. As I say, we really appreciate you um, finding room in your day at pretty much the same time every day. Um, we love chatting to you, getting all the insides, the winners, the losers, and just the general conviviality that you share with us, buddy. Uh, I wish you and your wife and your kids uh, a wonderful Christmas, mate. Rest up if you can, but I know it's a big Christmas time, time of the races, but Christmas Day, relax and enjoy it, buddy. Uh, awesome to catch up with you. Yeah, that's the one step. Yeah, Christmas Day is the one to relax, and then we get straight back into it with Boxing Day. And yeah, just after after New Year, we'll be able to take a bit of a break. But um, yeah, thanks, mate. Love coming on. Love talking to you as always, mate. And uh, you and your family have a good one as well. Cheers, buddy. Brendan Popperwell there from the TAB, tab.co.nz. Uh, go to the Punters Lounge. There'll be lots and lots of stuff. Um, the enhanced odds, the boosted odds, the money backs. It's all there, tab.co.nz. The vault has to be won today. It's starting at $200 TRB bonus bet. 0800-150-811. You get three questions. Can you pick what Sammy's locked inside the vault? If you don't go it, we'll go to the next person. Three questions. If you don't get it, we go again to the next person. $300 TRB bonus bet needs to be won. 0800-150-811. Play the vault. Three questions, one answer. Can you crack the vault? Righto, we need to find a winner today, Sam. Got to go. We've got to go. Let's go straight to the phones because this could take a while. Maybe. <laughs> it could take a while or it could be over in the first one and then we've got 10 minutes to fill. But hey, Let's I, think it's it gonna anyway. take, I think it's going to take a couple. I think okay. it's going to take a couple. Call number one. Line one. Line one. We're just going to go all chronicle or chronological order. First call in was Ted from Hamilton. G'day, Ted. G'day, Steffi. G'day, Sam. How are you? We're going good, good, Ted. You get three questions and a guess. Oh, cool. Why you go? Okay, then I'll start my first question. Is it basketball? Is it basketball? <laughs> Sam? Yes, it is, Ted. <gasps> wow! From left field! Ted, you're on fire. Next question. Okay, is it a NBA playoff game? Is it an NBA mm, playoff? Uh, I have to write Ted, all these down. It is not an NBA playoff game. Oh. Question three, Ted. Right. Three of three. Does the, game, does the game include a record? Does the game include a record? Was it, it was a record established in the game. No. No. Ted, no. Well, you get a chance to guess? You get a chance to guess. It'll be a woolly guess. Okay, then I'm going to say uh, January 22nd, 2006, uh, Kobe Bryant scores 81 points for the Lakers versus the Raptors. Oh, I'm not going to bother with it, putting this into the vault combination stuff. I'm just going to play whether it's right or wrong, so I'm just going to throw that in there. Access denied. No, Ted. We go to the next. Thanks for playing, though, buddy. We go to the next. John in Christchurch. G'day, John. G'day, fellas. How you going? We're good. You get three questions and then a crack at it. Well, that's exactly what I was going to do. Like the last call I did, that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> sort of gone west a wee bit. I won't hold you up. I'm just going to go. Um, I'll just put in a guess. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'm just going to say, uh, 19, no, 1962, is it Will Chamberlain 
Warriors boost New York scoring 100. Wow. Hey, great guess, John. Great guess. See if it's correct. Oh, it's not correct though. But I thought it was quite a quite a good guess from John. There, Steph. guess from John. Bit of left field. Feeding John. No, no. Next up is Chris from Foxton, the champion. G'day, Chris. <laughs> G'day, mate. Uh, right. Does it concern the breakers? Ooh, good question. No, it does not concern the breakers, Chris. Is, oh, I'll have a go. Um, okay, I'll have a go at the quiz. Uh, yeah, have a stab if you want to have a stab, mate. Yeah, I'll have a stab, yeah. Uh, is it the first time that... Yeah, Kiwi guy, I'm trying to think of his name. Um, got into the... Oh, no, it's not to do with the NBA, is it? Uh, hang on, hang on. Uh, Got any, no. I, I will need an answer from you, Chris. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty stumped, actually. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. All right, mate. Uh, we'll, we'll move yeah, straight along, mate. Steph. We'll just move straight along. We'll go to Ryan now, I think. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Ryan. Does it involve New Zealand? Does it involve New Zealand? Can you clarify that, Ryan? <laughs> the New Zealand national men's team. No. Okay. Does it involve Steve? <laughs> Does it involve Stephen Adams? I don't know. You have to ask Sam. Sam, does it involve Stephen Adams? Yes, it does, Ryan. Oh, oh! Was it in the year two thousand thirteen? Was it in the year two thousand and thirteen, Ryan? Um. Yes, it was. Oh, <laughs> Ryan, what are you doing? You get one guess. Well, I guess Stephen Adams gets drafted number 12 by Oklahoma City Thunder. Oh, okay, let's uh, we put that into the vault and let's see if we've got a successful Quick guess. Semi, okay. we're running out of time. Oh, I think we've got a, I think we've got a winner, Steph. Have we? Uh, wow, the vault's opening, so the combination must be correct. With the 12th pick in the 2013 NBA Draft, the Oklahoma City Thunder select Stephen Adams from Rotorua, New Zealand <laughs> at the University of Pittsburgh. Hey, there it is. Staff final vote for the year. Ryan's nailed Ryan, it. Ryan, you absolute champion in Christchurch. Good. That is amazing. Merry Christmas with a $200 TAB bonus bet coming to you. Oh, look out. Look out. Damage can, to be done. Can Ryan, just before we let you go, can I just give you a little word of advice here? Now, the last person who won big <laughs> on the vault, Matt from Blenheim, and sorry to bring you up again, Matt. Sorry, Matt. He blew his $500 bonus bets in the space of about 48 hours <laughs> without without any return. So just, just be patient, mate. Play your cards well. Let it last you maybe a couple of weeks. Let it go over Christmas. Um, don't use it all at once, as, as your mum says. Sounds awesome. I'll try not to. <laughs> Good man, Ryan. Cool to have you as a listener, buddy. Go well. Merry Christmas Thanks. to you. Yeah, Merry Christmas, boys. Thank you. Cheers, buddy. Oh, that was amazing. And well, I, I, the, the way that those calls were going, I thought we'd be here for a while. Ryan yeah. just came swooping in and, and started with the New Zealand national team. And when I said no to that, I thought, oh, well, that'll throw him completely off the scent. But he recovered. No, I think when you said, could you clarify, and he said... Because he said, does it involve New Zealand? 
And yeah. you said clarify, and he said, does it involve the New Zealand team? And you said no. Yeah. So therefore, it was a New Zealander. Yeah, well, that, and I thought, that was, was that fair for me to ask? Because he yes, said it does it involve New Zealand. Fair. It did very involve fair. New Zealand, but yeah. not in that capacity. Exactly. Um, got a few text messages. Let's get through them. We'll take our last break before the news. We're only... 11 and a half minutes away from the best two hours of radio this side of the black stump. You better believe it. Can I just say, actually, Steph, um, if you're out there listening or you're about to, I don't know, duck out for lunch or go for a beer, whatever, my, my sort of aim with this is tell the boss I've had enough for the day, right? It's a Friday afternoon. <laughs> Knock off at two o'clock. Grab yourself a beer. Grab a couple of your mates. Crowd around a, a radio or a phone because you've got it on the ECNZ app. And let's just park up and have some fun for two hours. That's the whole point. Mm. So relax. Have we got any beers in the fridge out the back? I uh, hope so. Because my brother-in-law's come in and yeah, he, he's sitting in the studio with me. And he, he's, yeah. he's partial to the odd nutty, mind nutty ale. Sure. Yeah, he okay. gave it a good charge last night. All right. Yeah, well, just this will help, <laughs> this will help him recover. Okay. <laughs> we'll have a break. Um, but do listen from two... Till four, it's going to be a marathon of um, hilarity, embarrassment. I'm not quite sure what I'm into. Uh, catch you after the break. We have had a mountain of text messages coming into the show today. We're not going to have, I always try and read every single one each show, but today it's just not going to be possible because we just have so much stuff to bring you in the next couple of hours. Let's whistle through some now. Fellas, I just want to wish you and all the team at SCNZ a very Merry Christmas and New Year. Loved the show this year. Some awesome content and plenty of laughs. Cheers. Dave from Nelson. Thank you, Dave. Um, from Zane, he says, I love how well you're selling the next two hours, but I have a bloody interview from 3 till 4.30, so I'm going to miss the second half, so I guess I'll be laughing my bum off as I listen to the second half on the golf course tomorrow morning. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, lads. Thank you, Zane. Uh, Gary from Up Hut, one of the champions. G'day, staff. Had no time to ring in this week. Just wanted to wish you and the crew a Merry Christmas. Loved the show this year. Looking forward to it next year. So are we. So are we. I uh, just want to say massive thanks to you guys, in particular for all the chat this year. It's so nice to have a break from politics, wars, and all that awful stuff, and instead just talk about sport and have some banter. I'm not sure you'll realise how much you guys help people escape. To all the listeners, happy Christmas and New Year, and look forward to another Crusaders title in 23 for Ken and Zaid in particular. From Chris in Christchurch, but he's really a Marcos fan. He's really a Marcos fan. Uh, Staffy, to you and all the New Zealand crew and listeners, have a great Christmas and New Year. We'll be and we'll roar back into it next year. Thanks from Ken Dino, guys. Those girls, the Black Ferns, brought New Zealand, uh, brought New Zealand back. Hard word, hard work pays off. I love them all. Staff, have a bloody beauty, and your team like me. Uh, we bloody deserve it. You guys are my team. I always work alone, but so, so much. Appreciate your help getting through the day and early evening. I love your show. I haven't watched TV news, bugger all, as you guys are real and sport is living. And I feel for those out there that don't get it. Please stay razor. All I want for Christmas. Get up, you good thing. Thank you, Dino. Uh, afternoon, Staffy. Just want to say thanks for the wonderful content this year. Christmas cheer to you, Sam and Captain Kate. Stu from East Otago. What a province East Otago is. G'day, fellas. I meant to say earlier when talking to you, a big shout-out to the TAB and all your other great sponsors and all SEN hosts for giving us listeners a chance to have some fun along with winning Merry Christmas and have a great New Year. See you next year, John. Thank you, John. Thank you very much, John. So as I mentioned, um, from 2 o'clock, 
straight after the news it is, straight after the news, I'm going to be doing a lot of listening. Sammy, you will hear how much work he's done. The next two hours, the Sam Hewitt edit special, it's called the Year in Review. It's going to be a good time. I'm assured it's going to be a good time. A lot of the laughter will be at my expense, but I'm big enough and ugly enough to be able to laugh at myself. I have plenty of flaws, so sit back and enjoy those and probably some Tony Kemp's and maybe some Ian Smith's and Israel Dags. God knows. God knows what we're in for. This is going to be a good fun two hours. Thanks for sticking with us and a big thanks to Gull, fueling our mission, and they're definitely going to fuel me for the next two hours.